this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. This week's episode is brought to you by us at Book Riot. We are giving away a $500, that's right, $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. This giveaway is open internationally through November 26th, so you have a while to enter, but why would you wait? Because we're talking about 500 bones to buy books. Go to bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway, all one word, to enter. That's bookriot.com slash bookstore giveaway to enter to win a $500 gift card to the bookstore of your choice. This is the Book Riot Podcast, a weekly news and talk show about what's new, cool, and worth talking about in the world of books and reading. This is episode 235. We're recording on Thursday, November 9th. I'm Jeff O'Neill. I'm here with Rebecca Shinsky. We're coming to you from bookriot.com. Hello. I'm coming to you from what feels like actual winter today. Oh, it's na- it's dis- it's a disaster here. 41 and rainy. It's kind of like the worst possible oh. like North American weather. Well, I kind of love it and it has me in mind of the holidays. So, yep. this is a good time to remind our listeners. Or I guess this is our first call out for it. This yeah, season. we should have done it last week, but we forgot. So We're always anyway. later than we want to be on these and yet <laughs> it always turns true. out okay. <laughs> It's, mm-hmm. It hasn't been a disaster yet, um, but we are gearing up to do our annual holiday gift recommendation show. So if there is someone that you are stuck on a book idea shopping for, or maybe you want some recommendations for yourself, shoot us an email podcast at bookriot.com. If you can do that within the next week or so, that would be awesome. Uh, we're going to record the first round of that, I think the week before Thanksgiving, and you'll get that show Thanksgiving week. Yep. Um, so we would love to hear from y'all. It's always one of, I think, our favorite things of the year to do, partially because we get to compete mm-hmm. with each other over who will make the better recommendation <laughs> <laughs> for each person. Um, but always so fun to be challenged that way and get to think about best books to give people as gifts. So that's podcast at bookriot.com. Send us all your holiday gift things you're stumped on and we'll help you out. I'm especially excited because I don't have to. Re- I don't have to wreck things I read four years ago. I mean, if I've had that kind of a reading year, I've read all kinds of stuff. So I've got. A, I've got a whole bunch of uh, fresh golf balls. I need to to yeah. hit onto the driving. It wasn't range just here. all business books all the time for you this year. No, it wasn't. Yeah, I'm very light on business books. I haven't read that many great ones though. A couple. Uh, I'll save for the, save for the show, Jeff. That's what we always <laughs> say. Podcast at bookriot.com. Also for you, for a family member. We'll do the best we can. Um, even if you know it's not something we're great at, we will ask people, book riot contributors, fellow staff, uh, things like that. So we'll do a little homework for you too if uh, it's something not in our wheelhouse. You know, we're not typically great at like middle grade, children's, but feel free to ask those. Oh, yeah. We've got we'll go, people. We got, we, we got folks. Uh, anyway, okay, let's do our first sponsor. You you you, 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 you slacked me yesterday saying, yeah, that's a light news week. What else you got? And then you put stuff in. I, there's a whole bunch of stuff it here. Just, but anyway. It came later this week, I guess. Yeah, I was looking All yesterday right. afternoon. I was like, man, what are we going to talk about? But we do have a good show. Um, yeah. Our first sponsor this week is Renegades by Marissa Meyer. The Renegades are a syndicate of prodigies. They are humans with extraordinary abilities who emerged from the ruins of a crumbled society and established peace and order where chaos had reigned. As champions of justice, they remain a symbol of hope and courage to everyone except the villains they once overthrew. Nova has a reason to hate the renegades, and she's on a mission for vengeance, but as she gets closer to her target, she meets Adrian, a renegade boy who believes in justice and in Nova. But Nova's allegiance is to the villains who have the power to end them both. This is about secret identities, extraordinary powers. She wants vengeance. He wants justice, which I think is a great tagline. Uh, Marissa Meyer is a a multiple times over New York Times bestselling author of the Lunar Chronicles. And this is a classic, a take on the classic battle between good and evil that also manages to make it totally fresh and unpredictable. So again, that's Renegades by Marissa Meyer. It is part one of what is sure to be an epic duology, 
part two is coming out next fall in 2018. So you won't have to wait that long to get mm. the follow-up, the final word. And it's Renegades by Marissa Meyer. We'll have a link to it in the show notes. You can find it wherever books are sold. This I'm excited about. I'm, I'm skipping over the first one out there. I'm going to Indigo mm. um, coming. I think this is the most interesting news we've gotten mm-hmm. this week for sure and possibly this year, I would say. Um, it could really shake only, things up. So Indigo, if you don't, I think we've talked about them before. They're the Canadian Barnes and Noble, for lack. I mean, that's your mm-hmm. that's your one sentence um, summary. They announced that they're going to be opening a thirty thousand square foot location in Short Hills, New Jersey, which is an affluent New Jersey sh- uh, suburb uh, made famous by Philip Roth's early work. All of his stuff is in Short Hills, New Jersey, um, and Indigo has seem to have figured out a little bit what a modern big box bookstore might look like that is growing and interesting and doing something different. They they um, think of themselves, they call it a cultural department store, interesting. which I think translates into lots of sidelines. Mm-hmm. <laughs> which think, is what Barnes & Noble has been doing lately. Yeah. I was, you know, I was in um, my local Barnes & Noble the other day and I was... It's weird because the sidelines really are sidelines. Like the toys are in the basement and, you know, the stationery is over by the magazines. My understanding of Indigo is that it's kind of like a department store kind of feel. Oh, Like okay. it's got beautiful lighting and the displays are, you know, it, it's just a different kind of experience. Barnes & Noble has sidelines, but you wouldn't really call it a department store. It's like a big box and like there's different, it's just shelves have different junk on it you know, in this particular section. Whereas Indigo, I think, is trying to create experience. Anyway, they've had good results over the last couple of years. They've been growing. Um, They have 89 stores in Canada. And just to compare, um, Barnes & Noble has 781 stores in the U.S. um, at about 10 times the uh, population. So if you adjust for population, Indigo is even a little bit bigger in Canada on a a per-person basis than Barnes & Noble is here. But... I think it's interesting that we're seeing... I mean, when's the last time we got a new chain bookstore? I like 1993 with Borders, right? Like yeah, that was it. I would say I couldn't even... I don't remember the beginning of a you know. new chain bookstore. The stories that have marked my entire career in publishing have been about the death of the chain bookstores and mm-hmm. the at the original point, like the rise of e-reading and Amazon and what was happening to chain bookstores. I can't remember the last time there was a new one. And there was just a story last week about, I can't remember the name of the chain, but one of the, one of the chains that's like, it's small relative to Barnes and Noble and small relative to what, you know, books a million was, but still had a couple dozen stores is closing all their locations across the U S. So we're still getting upper Midwest chain. I think it's kind of like the, the books a million is sort of book world. Yeah. Books a million and half price books are, are kind of regional chains that are larger than this. We'll, We'll drop a link in the show notes when we find it. But um, it was an upper Midwestern chain. I think we had, like, I think you're right, three dozen plus stores. Um, but this is Indigo, the, these stores are upmarket. I mean, they're fancy. The short, a 30,000 square foot location, the Short Hair Malls is an expensive endeavor. Like, it's not uh, a half price books in a suburban strip mall situation. There's not that there's anything wrong with that. It's just a different idea. I guess Amazon Bookstore as a chain, I guess we could qualify that, mm. though. It doesn't feel like the same kind of idea. But and they say they plan opening four to five stores in the U.S. as a test. And if it goes well, a wider rollout. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of places that Borders was that could use a bookstore like this. There's a lot of apparently profitable Barnes and Noble locations that they closed for lease reasons or other kinds of reasons or other things going on. Um, but Indigo is operating out of a position of strength in Canada to come to the U.S., whereas Barnes and Noble is still reeling. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll see. I, I think it's I think it's a very very interesting development. There's a lot of places that need a bookstore, and I don't care if it's independent. I don't care if it's a books a million. I don't care what it is. And if this is going to serve some of those locations, I think that's really exciting. It, you know, I believe in a diverse book buying ecosystem. I don't want it to be all Amazon or all used bookstores right. or whatever. Like I think a mix of all of it makes for a nice ecosystem where people can find what they want and they can, you know, have choice and there's competition and so on and so forth. Um, and the, the reduction of books, especially a large player in the big box space makes Amazon even more powerful. Like a robust chain is a better bulwark against Amazon than a bunch of independents. It just is. I'm sorry to say, I mean, I, I like independents, but like in terms of a healthy competitive atmosphere, a big chain or multiple big chains would do more than opening 12% more independent bookstores next year. 
Yeah, am, this, I, am I wrong about that? No, no. I, mean, I think uh, you're. I think you're right about that. I mean, we talk about how indies have like three to six percent of the market, and a chain coming in that could take up more space than that in the market by by I think especially what you're saying going into book deserts into places that had great bookstores that no longer have easy access to book shopping could take up more of that and pull you know some more competition I think it also might be good for Barnes and Noble we've watched Barnes and Noble like maybe not good for Barnes and Noble's business immediately if they have this this competitor in Indigo but we've watched them flounder mm. about innovation and and in a minute we'll talk about what yep. one of the versions of that is looking like recently but there's been a lot of shaking up at Barnes and Noble and not a whole lot of <laughs> dust settling in a way that I think anybody at Barnes and Noble is actually happy A lot of shaking, not much bacon, to <laughs> use a, um, a, a, 90, a 90s food reference. <laughs> yes, a lot of shaking and not much bacon. <laughs> um, and it would be, I think, good and healthy for the marketplace, but also potentially a nice kick in the pants or inspiration to Barnes and Noble to see what another chain is doing and some of the creative movements there. And that pushes the whole field forward. When somebody makes mm. a, you know, a big accomplishment, and now we're making a bunch of assumptions about what Indigo could do, but if it does make a big splash and make a difference and have success and open some more stores um, over the next couple of years, that might give Barnes & Noble some better ideas to help them stay mm -hmm. around. Because I, I also agree, I think a diverse book buying marketplace is best for readers. And that's the thing that mm -hmm. we, we care about more than you know the health of the publishing industry per se. Um, but I would like to, I think it'll be interesting to see. I'd like somebody to show up that, you know, like sometimes if you have somebody running in front of you who sets a nice mm -hmm. pace and gives you a little something extra to strive for, it would be cool to see Barnes & Noble get that because they're really not figuring out how to do it themselves. The other thing, um, just a quick uh, a report from the field about going to my local Barnes and Noble, which is a good Barnes and Noble. I'll mm -hmm. say that. I mean, it's a good Barnes and Noble. But I realize like how not fun it is to be there. Like there are books to look around at, but like in terms of an experience, you know, it feels like the same Barnes and Noble I went into in 1997. You know, it just feels the same. Like the carpet's the same. It's like the lighting is industrial. It just doesn't feel good to be in. And again, I haven't been in an Indigo store. Um, write to us at podcastatbookwrite.com mm -hmm. if you have. You, you go to Indigo. I'd like to hear your experiences. But like, you go into a more modern retail environment, and you know, there's lighting that's interesting. The displays are beautiful. Like, it just the cultural department store seems really. I don't know that it's going to work, but it's different. Like, it's different enough that like maybe there is something there. And Indigo is operating on a position of strength that's worked for them a little bit. Um, I don't know how analogous the Canadian and, Amer and U.S. book buying markets are. I have no idea. Mm. It doesn't feel to me that much different. But, you know, I think there's a place where, there's a place for some, a place to go that's book-centric, that's fun to be there. It's enjoyable, it's pleasant to be there. And Barnes & Noble isn't that right now. It's just, it's just not. It's not as fun as going to a, a high-end retail environment, which your most valuable book buyers, frankly, are higher-end shoppers. They're more affluent people on the whole. Shouldn't be the whole ecosystem, but if you're building a giant 30,000-square-foot spot, that's who you're going after. Well, and um, I mean, I think this is, like, it shouldn't be surprising, and it shouldn't be news to, like, the folks at Barnes & Noble or people who are trying to sell anything that's basically mm -hmm. a luxury good. Like, you know, you don't have to buy books. You can check out books at the library if you want to be a reader. And so buying your books is, I think, essentially a luxury good. You, yes. The experience you have while buying those things matters. Like, this is why Trader Joe's is laid out the way that it is. Like, Trader Joe's, Whole Foods, these are not the places yeah. you go by necessity, these are the places you go to have a certain experience and get a certain product that you consider to be, you know, higher quality or to fit into your lifestyle in some way. And it doesn't like you're right. My Barnes and Noble by my house, I think is like an okay Barnes and Noble. Mm -hmm. I've been in some great ones, but it doesn't feel great. And I understand from friends who are still booksellers, like in the trenches in Barnes and Noble stores, that there's there continues to be increasing pressure about hand selling certain titles and Barnes mm -hmm. and Noble making 
making deals with publishers to promote particular books through hand selling. But the work they do on the floor and the work that they're supposed to do at the cash wrap to push certain initiatives or like to try to get you to buy a membership card, mm-hmm. I think stand in opposition to having a pleasant shopping experience. You know, walking in somewhere that you're happy to be there, where the lighting is nice. You can noodle around and enjoy noodling around, seeing mm-hmm. what's there. You might this department store idea. You can bump into other things that you weren't considering buying before that, or that, but that maybe look appealing. And then they've sold you some sidelines. And I think Barnes and Noble, I think, needs a makeover in that respect, or at yes. least some of the stores need to be reminded that what they're doing is selling people a luxury good, um, mm-hmm. and that people are in their stores. They don't have to be your customers. Don't have to be in your store. <laughs> Right. Um, and you should give them reasons to continue coming back. So oh, we I'll talked be, about on. Oh, go ahead. I would say I'll just be really interested to see what this Indigo store looks like. I hope we hear from some listeners uh, out in the world who have been into Indigo stores. And yeah. when this one opens up in New Jersey, I want someone to go on a field trip to it. Definitely, we, we have people in New York. It's not that far from. It's, yeah. it's basically a New York exurb. Um, yeah, I was because I was in the mall too, and then I went into like William Sonoma, mm-hmm. which I'm not a food kitchen gadget kind of guy, but it's 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 nice to be in there. Yeah. Like, or it's like, pleasant to be in there. You know, I think what Williams Sonoma does, which is what any store should want to do well, is make you want things that you don't need. Yes. You know, and like IKEA even does that. I come out of IKEA mm. and I'm like, I didn't know that I needed four new lamps for my bedroom and cutting right. boards and also this throw blanket. Like I went in there to get a chair. Um, but the experience is pleasant and things are laid out nicely and you just keep getting interested in stuff. And Williams Sonoma, like, if you think for half a second about most of the things in Williams Sonoma, you're like, oh, I have something else in my kitchen that will do this thing. But that gadget you're holding, like, it looks real yeah. good. And if bookstores could find a way to do that, they'd be, I think, sitting Think how good prettier. my soup dumplings will be if I just have this copper-plated press or how, that I could also buy like, on Amazon. How much it's happier, the same problem. How much happier the experience of eating yeah. your soup dumplings will be, right. yeah, if you have this fancy item to do it with. And and I guess that's the maybe that we're coming around to something we started with is like an entry at the top of the market mm-hmm. in big box book selling is not something we've seen. Right. I mean, independents are top of the in terms of price, they're the most expensive on a book per book basis. And Barnes and Noble got caught in the middle because they're not the premium book buying experience like a, like a really good independent store or Powell's or something like that. But they're also not the 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 cheap. They're not books a million half price books or Amazon. And so what are they? Yeah. They're, you know, you're caught in the middle. So coming in at the high end, making for a premium experience, and then, you know, you buy like anthropology expensive candles and throw yes. pillows and stuff, like a Pottery Barn with a bookstore um, <laughs> together. Like, that's not an awesome idea, but it's an interesting mm-hmm. one. And some version of that, I, I think, is compelling. So we're going to keep our eye on that one. Yeah, uh, you know, I think this sure. makes sense to jump in our agenda yes, down absolutely. a little ways. Um, but speaking of our good pals, Barnes & Noble, we've talked extensively about the different experiments that they are undertaking in an attempt to, I guess, figure out what the heck to do about things. Um, and we've <laughs> talked, like, I mean, that's really what it looks like. Um, we, got, yep, yep. we got the announcement a year or so ago that they were going to open some stores that had high-end restaurants attached to them. So it's um, the news is out this week that it's opening its first newer and smaller format store in Texas, in Plano, Texas. Um, this week, it has a full-service bar and a restaurant as the dominant feature. Um, and this piece is from the Dallas News. It says that books are not an app Afterthought, but the Barnes and Noble Kitchen is a destination for is as much a destination for something to eat as it is food for thought. That's a nice sentence. Good job, writer at the Dallas News. Um, but this, you know, bookstore chain. This is actually the fourth one of these Barnes and Noble kitchens um, that are being installed. It's the first one in Texas, and it includes seating for 178 people indoors and on a patio, serving breakfast, lunch and dinner. There's craft beers on tap. There's a community work table. Um, it, there's also a photo in this piece of the outside of it. And it looks like the outside of a restaurant in a shopping center. Like if you're walking past this, you would not, you don't see the bookshelves. Um, so it's really interesting to see that being centered. Like they want to eventually be serving brunch. There's a mention of avocado toast in this piece. Like, Oh my God. I, this is the talk- millennial bingo <laughs> is all over the place. <laughs> no, trying. It has, uh, the new store has seven 17,000 titles compared to the 35 to 50,000 that are in a typical Barnes and Noble store. So half to a third of what's normally in a Barnes and Noble 
bookstore. And this this seems to me like a Barnes & Noble attempt at creating a lifestyle experience. Like if avocado toast is not supposed to signal a certain kind of customer, <laughs> I don't know what is. But it's a come have a meal and then maybe pick up a book while you're at it. And it's not stupid to like serve people a couple of drinks and then try to sell them books. No. Um, but it's just it very interesting to like, can you actually call it, I guess they're calling it Barnes and Noble Kitchen. Like, can you call it a bookstore if the predominant thing happening there is sales of food and you're caring about a, a third as many books as a typical Barnes and Noble does? I I don't know. You know, I would think about this and I've come to the conclusion, I think I hate this idea. I think I, I, think I hate this. Like, There's something about this that rubs me the wrong way and I don't know... <laughs> exactly what it is and maybe I'll, we'll talk our way through it I, the branding itself seems conflicted to be like what does barnes and noble kitchen mean right like like is it, i mean uh, i guess is the are the books or the draw or the food the draw or the experiences the draw like i and like i was if trying I to think of like f- what other go ahead yeah if you want to have like a mainstream middle class chain dining experience yes. it's not like they're is a dearth of choices. No. Like there's, no. go ahead. I'm trying to think of like other retail that like have made food a part of what they do. That's not food. So like the, we talked about Ikea, right? Mm. Like they've got the big cafeteria up there and it's cheap and it's pretty no nonsense. It's a little bit different than what you get other places. And you know, it's, it's economy and it's kind of fun and different where this looks like you bolted on like, I don't know, an upscale suburban chain onto a Barnes and Noble. It's like yeah. two two this is like two, two fifty cent pieces don't make a dollar with this somehow. I, there's just something Yeah. Off well about there's this. this this I mean this is an example from Richmond, but out Richmond's West End where the suburbs are just expanding and expanding and expanding. Yeah. And, and it's like in a quarter of a mile strip, you get, or maybe like a half mile, whatever, but you get, you know, like every chain restaurant that you can think of, the big giant outdoor shopping center is right there. The Trader Joe's and the Whole Foods are within spitting distance of each other. And then they've built a bunch of high-end townhouses that overlook the parking lots to all these places that sell for like four times as much as my house is worth. Um, And there's a bunch of, uh, the first floor of all of those buildings is mixed use for restaurants and shopping and like the high-end local gym. And this Barnes & Noble kitchen, this exterior photo of it from Plano, looks like it could be on that yep. that strip of like suburban hell and it just <laughs> it just does not look th- I just don't want to do this I don't like no, this no I like, don't like this, this either I, have, I don't like it either and I don't know if I mean this feels almost invalid but like if you can't if you're a bookstore and you cannot be successful as a bookstore mm. go away don't be a kitchen or don't be a restaurant that's like by the way we have books like you have not saved your bookstore brand if you can only save it by being a restaurant. Yeah, because it's like the pictures are super weird. Like the front is the restaurant. And then like there's one table that's like feels like it's in the front of the bookstore and then the back has books in it. Like it's weird. It's like... I'd, I'd almost like it better if the restaurant was just the restaurant, but it, the decor was books. I'm trying like to... it was books yeah. all over the place and you could buy them if you well, wanted to so just like, to see what it was like. Like Nordstrom has the Nordstrom Cafe in a lot yeah. of the stores, but that's like you can go have a nice latte and eat a finger sandwich while you think about which skirt, yes. which skirt to buy. It's just a thing. Like you're going to eat lunch while you're shopping. You can go to the Nordstrom Cafe. Is that table service or is it like oh, a, you go to the register? I am the wrong person to ask. Um, okay. But I've been trying to think of analogies outside of books. Like, do I hate mm-hmm. this just because it's, you know, books getting turned into a restaurant? But like, if The Gap couldn't sell jeans and sweaters, and they were like, okay, we're going to be a coffee shop. Yeah. <laughs> and most of our floor space is going to go to espresso machines and bakery cases. And we're going to carry about a, a third as many jeans and sweaters in order to try to save The Gap. We'd all be like, what the hell? Yeah, I, I guess that that seems right to me because like the Barney's Co-op or Barney's in New York has a cafe and like Kia's has food and Macy's in New York has like places you can get food. I think those are things that are like services that are in support of you spending time there. Yeah. Right? Like it's, and you know, Barnes and Nobles have had cafes. Like they've got Starbucks, they've got cafes if you want to spend time. Like I think the goal of those restaurants is to get you to spend time in the store, not to come to the right. store. 
Like, and where this feels like just the way it's laid out, the goal is to get you into the restaurant, but like, what is the, look, this is their fourth one. Maybe it's working and we are totally wrong. That's completely possible. But we're book people who are interested in the book business and we don't mind food. I'd say neither of us mind food. Oh, I love food. And we're like, would we, if we were in Plano, Texas tomorrow for a day, I don't think we'd go to this. And yeah. that's got to be bad, right? Right. I mean, I like, be- I mean, I literally plan vacations around where I'm going to eat. And yes. if someone were, if I were like, hey, where should I go eat in Charleston? And somebody was like, well, there's this Barnes and Noble kitchen. <laughs> yeah. Be like, you, right. have, you have to be kidding me that on my like limited time visiting anywhere, the thing I'm supposed to do is go to a, the, the equivalent of like a suburban chain restaurant. Mm-hmm. It's like, well, yeah, but the Applebee's in Plano is great, you know, better than the Applebee's in all the other places. It's, I just don't, I hate this. Yeah, I don't. I don't. <laughs> I, I mean, like irrationally hate this. The longer I we don't talk about hate it. it for itself, I don't like the sort of <laughs> obtuseness of it. Right. That's the part that makes me madder. It's like, I don't. They still, I still want them to do my idea, which I probably, I'm sure, I must have talked about. This. Still, I was like, do like the Hard Rock Cafe version, mm. where it's each store in a different city has its own personality, and you go, you and don't even call it Barnes and Noble, or make it more like an independent bookstore. Like have wood floors and have Ella Fitzgerald playing and have it feel intimate and fun and upscale and interesting. And this is like, this is meshing middle brow books selling with like middle brow expensive food. And I just don't see who's going to fall for this sucker's game. I mean, maybe it's working and there's, but boy, is it, it's disappointing to see. I, I just don't feel like this is the way forward. <laughs> yeah, I just don't either. Like I love you know, a chain restaurant chicken finger sometimes, but I'm not yes. going to go to the Barnes and Noble kitchen f- to scratch it's, that. Uh, itch. It looks terrible. It looks terrible. <laughs> it just, lo- this branding makes me so mad. <laughs> Why don't you tell uh, me about our next sponsor? Yeah. We'll, so let's do our we'll next wipe sponsor. our slate clean here. <laughs> uh, well, you could buy this at a bookstore if you wanted to. <laughs> the, Sacrifice of the, Sun, uh, the Sacrifice of Sunshine Girl by Paige McKenzie. Thanks to them for sponsoring the show. It's the final installment of the New York Times bestselling Haunting of Sunshine Girl trilogy based on the hit YouTube channel. It's also in development for television about a girl who can communicate with ghosts. There's fewer big properties about communicating with ghosts. Actually, I was thinking about this as mm-hmm. I was prepping for the ad read. Anyway, now that Sunshine Griffith's um, powers are fully awakened and having barely survived an abyss full of demons at the end of book two, Sunshine must figure out who or what has been organizing the forces of darkness against her. Uh, thanks to her brainiac boyfriend, Nolan, they unearthed that Sunshine's death would trigger a calamitous event and that all civilization depends on her survival. No, no pressure, Paige. Um, <laughs> That Sacrifice of the Sunshine Girl, little end of the world, kind of a Buffy Hellmouth kind of thing Mm -hmm. going on with some ghosts, uh, a love interest in a supporting role, sounds like you, and it it, uh, fulfills O'Neill's Razor. This is the third book. So if if you're just hearing about Sunshine Girl for the first time, start at the beginning, you can whip through them and have a a good uh, full experience for you right there. Thanks so much to Sacrifice of Sunshine Girl by Paige McKenzie for sponsoring our show this week. Where do you want to go next? Well, I mean, we've been talking about the elephant of the room or talking around the elephant room. Let's just talk about the elephant of the room. Okay. The big A. Yep. We got big A news uh, related to books. Um, I think the big news is this whisper, this rumor mm-hmm. um, that is that is um, going from Shire to uh, the, the, field, the, the fields of Rohan, <laughs> that Amazon is in talks with Warner Brothers to develop a Lord of the Rings series. Why? Cash money, baby. IP, IP is the hardest thing in the world. I mean, I know why they would try. It's like a why would I watch this? Why? <laughs> Cuz you're saying that the the movies we got are good enough. Three the three extended edition 9000 hour Peter Jackson adaptation movies of Lord of the Rings. We don't know if this includes The Hobbit or not. It's just said Lord of the Rings, that's what it is. So, you know, Fellowship of the Ring, Three Return of the King, that those three. Um Everyone's looking for their Stranger Things, their Game of Thrones, their whatever else it might be to get you to sign up for their thing. I don't know. It could be an amazing production. It could you be. Know, like it, it could be an amazing I production. I would love to be proven wrong, you know, that yeah. like those Peter Jackson productions are just 
astonishing in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want to talk about the Hobbit movies, but the Lord of the Rings, nope. <laughs> but the Lord of the Rings ones um, were really remarkable and literally, like literally groundbreaking in the field for a lot of the special effects at the time. Yes. And they have held up pretty well. Like those they are have. those are still good and impressive movies to watch. So I feel like. I don't want to see it's too soon. Like I'm not ready for this story to be told again. Um, but Sonia Palmer, who wrote the news piece about it for book riot about this rumor points out like, look how many white guys there are mm-hmm. um, in this book. And that got me thinking about how it would be interesting if Amazon decided to shake this up some, if you got creative and inclusive with the casting, because there is no reason that we can have dwarves, but they're all, they all have to be white. <laughs> like That is, there is no reason that that has to happen. Also, um, all the humans are also white. Right. Just cause. Yeah. Like dwarves are real, but also all people are white. That's, mm-hmm. it doesn't have to, those things don't have to exist that way. Um, and so let's, I would be into it then if they were like, we're going to make an inclusive version of Lord of the Rings, you know, with different actors and really extend what fantasy can do. Um, I think that would be interesting. I would like to see it. I, um, I guess as a reader and as a viewer of the movies, my experience with them feels so intimate and contained that I don't know Mm -hmm. how it would feel to watch like an hour of Lord of the Rings once a week. But I guess the nature of an Amazon series would be that it would all drop at once. So you could binge watch 12 hours of it. And it would be like watching all three of the the originals at one go. Well, I mean, yeah, because there's the part of me that's like, yeah, I don't really want this. And then there's the real talk part of me that's like, if there were 12 hours of season one of Lord of the Rings that dropped instantly on Amazon that looked at all interesting, I would totally watch the whole thing. So I'd, I don't know where to come down on I guess the thing is like, both of us have a soft spot for that Peter Jackson trilogy of the original oh, yeah. ones. Really, I'd love them to remake the... I mean, if Amazon's going to do one, do The Hobbit. Yeah. No one liked that movie. Nobody do liked that. those. They were so long. Yeah, and they're re- so bad. Redo those, but you're right. Like, And maybe it's just the curious curiosity factor that they're going to ride all the way to the bank like if 12 hours worth of lord of the rings content that wasn't completely terrible appeared in my amazon prime account i would spend a saturday watching it like i just watched the whole first season of the great british bake-off and i don't even know that i like it like Mm -hmm. but i'm still going (laughs) so i would i would give i would give this a shot it just it feels too soon like those movies i know were what like 14 years ago um, yeah the first one actually 16 years ago but that's um, so 2001 that's still so recent i think in the world of remakes um or of yeah the, you'd have to do something different like yeah. the the jackson one is a pretty straight ahead family friendly version i guess you could go you could do some interesting stuff with casting you could go darker you could go mm-hmm. Game of Thrones, violent kind of... I mean, there's some violent... I mean, it's a dark world, man. Like, you could go that way. Like, the challenge is going to be... To, you have this big... I mean, Return of the King won an Academy Award, for God's mm-hmm. sakes. I mean, it's not like... That's a big... It's like remake... It's like if someone said, I'm going to make a... Uh, I'm going to remake The Godfather for Amazon. I'd be like, sure, but no. I mean, why? Like, why do I care? So right. you have to do something different. Right. Like, you just have to... You have to come at it from a different angle. You have to come with a different sensibility... Maybe you 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 try maybe you trot up more of the magical stuff, which you know Jackson kind of soft pedaled. Maybe you get some of the sideline stories in there. I could see why they'd consider it, and maybe it's just that far. It's like okay, the rights are available. We could pay a billion dollars. You know, we could pay a whole bunch of money and make this. Can we do something interesting with it? So we'll see if it actually gets made. But of course, I mean. The Tolkien estate is out to make money. They don't get the copyright forever. You know, it's right. like another 20 years and it's going to come in the public domain. What else are you going to do? Who are you going to shop it to to get a six or a, not a six, a nine, a nine figure deal is a hundred million dollar plus for the rights? I have zero idea how that would be. But, you know, I could see why. I could see why someone would think about it. I just don't know that there's a difference between it being interesting and saying that I will watch it. And that's different matters to me, but maybe it doesn't matter. To yeah. Anyone. I mean, this feels like one of those distinctions between the things you can do and the things you should do perhaps. Yeah. And if they want like to like put a restaurant on the far of, front of your <laughs> bookstore, I mean, you can, <laughs> right. but maybe you should just because you, it occurred to you. Um, yes. Right. You know, if they wanted to like get the cast of the wonder woman movie and make them into lady hobbits mm. and dwarves and, warriors i would be i would be down for what 12 hours of that would be like mm-hmm. um so interesting maybe and the return who, of the queen yes the third one yeah interesting mm-hmm. and yes 
<laughs> with a nice Jurassic Park remix of like Dinosaur Eats oh, Man, Woman Inherits yes, the Earth. Right, 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 right. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, so that, I mean, that's if that happens, this would be huge news uh, for sure. Let's go to other huge um, IP goings on. Yes. Um, this was such big news in our world that we were wondering if we should even run the story on the site until we got more confirmation because we didn't want it. There's a hoax about it before, apparently, but it's been confirmed by uh, Niantic. They're the company that made Pokemon Go, which if you don't know exactly what it is, you know that, I guess it was last summer? No, two, the summer before last, Pokemon Go swept the nation, the, uh, the augmented reality game in which you took your phone out and tried to capture Pokemon. Um, in hindsight, what a phenomenon that was and how short It's short-lived. still going. It really... It's still going. There's a poke spot outside my house. Like there's a church and across still the come street. By. Yeah. And every couple of days I'll be like, why is that car just sitting there, mm. you know, like across from my house? And there's some person sitting like frantically swiping their phone. And the other morning there were like six cars. And I was like, is something happening on Pokemon? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it's a, it's an ongoing thing. It didn't completely go away. Like it's not a fad because it's not like no one's doing it. But like la- that summer before or last like it was a thing yeah was it was going huge on. people were talking about um but neantic has, has announced that their next augmented reality effort will be a harry potter augmented reality something that's going to be uh, the one that breaks me <laughs> 2018 in cooperation with warner brothers um interactive and port key games um more detail so I think this is going to be a huge game. It makes all the sense in the world. It's going to be super I, it's, fun it's to speculate about. <laughs> There's like uh, Swapna Krishna, who used to work with us and run mm-hmm. um, panels when we were running our comic site, wrote this piece for Engadget. And she says that the details on the game are pretty sparse and it's not clear what it's going to involve or what the mechanics will be. Um, but that's kind of all we know. And then if you're familiar with Pokemon Go about moving through your physical world to sort of collect digital items Mm -hmm. and defend locations and stuff like it would be cool if they could map the world of Hogwarts and Harry Potter onto major cities or neighborhoods. Mm. And you could be like moving between um, the different houses or defending Hogwarts from the Dementors or, Mm. you know, whatever. I think this is a lot of fun, really smart. And um, also, so really smart, I think, to, I don't know what order this development happened in, but if it's interesting that we got the big demonstrated success of Pokemon Go first. Like, if they had announced this game three years ago, it probably would have been a big deal, but everybody has the example to hold on to of Pokemon Go now. Well, that's what I was going to say, like. right. You take it to JK before Pokemon Go, she's like, what? You right. take it after, like, oh my god. Like, I'd love to know the licensing deal. Um, let me, here's a little text from the announcement. With Harry Potter Wizards Unite, that's the name of the game, players that have been dreaming of becoming real-life wizards will finally get the chance to experience J.K. Rowling's Wizarding World. Players will learn spells, explore their real-world neighborhoods and cities, discover and fight legendary beasts, and team up with others to take down powerful enemies. It sounds like it could be a lot of fun. Yeah. It be, could be a lot of fun. You know, one of the things that people talked about when Pokemon Go came out was that they were out in their neighborhood walking around and they were meeting people and they were exploring their cities. And the fandom of Harry Potter has so much community built around it already. And Harry Potter fans love to bump into each other and meet each other and talk about what house you've been sorted into that. I think Mm -hmm. this has a lot of potential for that as well. Um, I'm not familiar enough at all with what the world of Pokemon fandom is like to know if, if people were like making new best friends while they were out playing Pokemon Go. But the bonds that I've seen pop up between Harry Potter fans or the friendships that originated in a connected or shared fandom are pretty interesting. And we have tons of examples of those from conventions and from, you know, Tumblr's fandom community that the idea of a bunch of people wandering around the city, like casting spells together. Like what if you have to join with five other people to cast the spell outside? I think that's what you're going to have to do. You have to get you and your, and your buds to go down, take down a cave troll. I think it's super smart. And the mental friction is much lower than, you know, taking my dad. I mean, even me like Pokemon, the original that came out was my brother, uh, Kyle is seven years younger than I am. Like he was into that, but like there's mental friction for me. Like Mm -hmm. what is a Pokemon? How does the, what's the, even the mythology of this? Whereas Harry Potter is a pop culture phenomenon. You don't have to tell anybody what you're going to cast a spell and you're, you know, this is a Dementor and there's whatever, like you, you, you get over that. Like, you know, you could do with a bunch. I mean, 
AR is going to be super interesting for storytelling. It's another it's another platform for IP. Like you know, you could do this with Lord of the Rings, Star Wars, all the big ones. You know, have some version of this mm-hmm. would be a lot of fun. Yeah, Pokemon um, is so huge, but I would venture that the generations worth now of Harry Potter fans are huger. And for exactly yes. that reason, like I didn't get into Pokemon go. I didn't even download it because I was like, how much am I going to have to learn about Pokemon in order to play this? Like I know nothing mm-hmm. except that they start as one thing and they take different forms or like Amanda's children have recited many Pokemon facts to me over the years that have yeah. gone in one ear and out the other. Right. But exactly what you're saying, like my barrier to entry um, is as a, as a person who's familiar, like more than the average barrier, but not die hard familiar with Harry Potter is like, well, you know, I could pretend to wave a wand around and do an Expelliarmus or something. (laughs) Totally. (laughs) I think this will be a lot of fun. I will definitely try it. I think it'll be a lot of fun. Um, Speaking of things that are a lot of fun, let's do our last sponsor for the show. It's Alcrate. Alcrate is a monthly subscription service that delivers bookish fun straight to your door. Each box contains one brand new hardcover, it's a young adult novel, as well as a whole bunch of bookish keepsakes to help set the mood for your literary adventure. Every box is built with super fun and creative theme in mind and also includes special goodies right from the author. Alcrate also has a brand new box for younger bookworms, Alcrate Jr. It's perfect for readers aged 8 to 12 or anyone that's young at heart. It's you. They send you so. This is what you get. Lots of items, including the box, are handmade from small businesses like you know Etsy sellers, and most of them are exclusive. Can't get them anywhere else. Uh, they begin sending out books with exclusive cover designs as well, making them even more special. So not only is it curated and you get a package, but it's exclusive. So it's not you can. There's no replacement value. You can't just assemble it on your own somewhere else. They're putting together an experience that's unique to Alcrate every month. At least one of the three to five goodies included in each Alcrate Junior box. That's the one for eight to twelve year olds, or those that don't mind um, uh, experiencing eight to twelve year old things. Is a usable activity to encourage creativity, imagination, and exploration. That's Alcrate. You can go check out them at alcrate.com. Thanks so much for them sponsoring the show. All right. Where do you want to end? We got ten minutes. Hmm. Well, I want to shout out that all eight Harry Potter films are coming to HBO in January. There you go. You can get that for your winter winter hibernating. <laughs> there, that's kind of all there is to say about that, but just mm-hmm. in time. They start on January 1st, so you really can kick off your new year that way. And they're going to, let's see, they're going to kick off the new year. It's a marathon beginning mm-hmm. with Sorcerer's Stone at 9am on January 1st. And it ends with Fantastic Beasts in the early morning of January 2nd. So if you want to marathon that whole thing, and I got to tell you, I think I might. <laughs> then see, I, I have all the movies. So like, uh, it's interesting, like who's left to marry? I guess you're the one, you're the use case. I'm the one. We don't, I, yeah. we're, I'm not really much of a, we're a TV binge marathon mm-hmm. house, but I'm not really a movie marathon or like I saw all the Lord of the Rings movies a couple of times. I think we own that box set, but I tend to watch things like in bits and pieces. Movies I love, I watch them in bits and pieces as they come on cable. <laughs> like if Sister Act 2 is on, I will pick it up wherever it is and watch it for 25 minutes. Um, mm-hmm. But I haven't watched all the Harry Potter movies close together ever. I think I saw them each as they came out. And that one time was probably it for most of them. Um, so I, I'm going to do this. I think this is a great way to start the new year. That's a good way. Good way to start the new year. Uh, let's, start, let's end with Amazon's best books of the year, the top 20. I guess it's time to start doing this. Uh, Publishers Weekly always does their thing. It's like October 29th and everyone rolls their eyes, but whatever, they get out in front of it. Um, Amazon's top 20, I, you know, uh, there's put a link in the show notes. I also hate the way this page is set up. You've got to click like that. Just mm-hmm. give us a list. Jeez Louise. This is the, this is the 2017 internet. One thing we know how to do is a list yeah. formatted. You don't need anyway. a carousel. You don't need a carousel. In mobile, it's a disaster. Um, but I will say some of my favorite books of the year on this. Uh, I just too. filled out the, we're getting ready to do, we're putting together Book Riot's um, Best of 2017 and pulling all the contributors and doing all that stuff. I picked my five, and let's see, it looks like looks like two of my five are on here. Okay. Um, you Don't Have to Say You Love Me by Sherman Alexie. Oh, so good. And Priest Daddy mm-hmm. by Patricia Lockwood, um, which I've said elsewhere on the show uh, were audio experiences, and yeah. I would recommend them as audio Yes, I co-signed before print. Um, I second I'm both sure of those emotions. Yeah, the the Sherman Alexi is 
so heartbreaking and then oh alternately God. really hilarious. Yeah. Um, no one a, does that like him. Nobody. Nobody. I don't like, think so. You literally so. go from crying about his mom's death to like dying laughing because there's a poop story in the funeral home. Yeah. And it's just, he's, that, the range there is remarkable. Um, the, 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 salt, the sweet and sour about his mom of like <sighs> loving her and hating her and mocking her by turn and sometimes at the same time is you just don't and, it's it's not a flavor combo that most people can pull and off it's, and uh, it's some remarkable the longer that i've thought about that book the more i've realized too you know, we get tons of memoirs and fiction for that matter about the really complex relationships that women have with their mothers. But it's very unusual to hear about the relationship a man has with his mother. And those can be just as complex and difficult and tangly and human and all Mm -hmm. all of those things. But those stories just don't get told as often. And he tells it with just, it's so raw. Like, Mm -hmm. it's just so raw and honest and real. What a great book. Um, Little Fires Everywhere by Celeste Ng is on this list. I loved that. Um, The Heart's Invisible Furies by John Boyne is next up on my stack of books to read. Liberty. That's got that's got the the indie cred like lit yes. nerd buzz well, going on in a real way. Liberty it. read it for all the books, and she pitched it to me as like a gay oh, um, t- prayer for Owen Meany. And I was like, sold. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, I have a feeling that me. Mad Lib blank for Owen Meany for you is like you could move any unit for Rebecca. Just throw Owen Meany in there. You got, probably you so. Um, Priest yeah. Daddy. Owen Meany at the circus. See, all this works. <laughs> right. It all works. Priest Daddy um, was on my list as well. And then mm. um, I don't know if it'll be in my top five for the year, but I did really enjoy American Fire by Monica Hessa, which is on here. Uh, and it's a um, an exploration into these the small town on the eastern seaboard i think it's either virginia or maryland somewhere like right up not too far from me and um, that had this rash of arsons and they couldn't figure out who was doing it um until like and, until like some astonishing number like several dozen buildings had been burned down um before they caught the arsonist and the book moves between that person's like the eventual arsonist's perspective some of the people in the town the volunteer firefighters how everybody is just like living under the weight of this for a year wondering when the next fire is going to be set and how they're going to make it past it it's um one of the best books of um, narrative nonfiction i've read in a long time so interesting yeah cool to see that and i i haven't gotten to kill of the Flower Moon by David Gran yet, but Amazon named that their number one pick of the year. And I've heard many, mm-hmm. many great things about it. Lots of recognizable titles on here. Exit West by um, Moussin Hamid, Sourdough by Robin Sloan. It's an interesting list. You know, I'm a little salty because I thought that most of the best books of the year, um, or very, very many of them this year, it was an especially strong year for women writers. And only seven of these top 20 are by women. I'm so little bummed about that. Yeah, um... I guess the couple wild cards that I hadn't, I had heard of, but I didn't expect to make this list. I haven't read them, so I, I'm not judging. Like, out of my own experience, like The Drive by Jane Harper is not a book people have heard much about. Yeah, I didn't um, know that. This one. is how it always is by Laurie Frankel. Spoonbenders by Daryl Gregory. Ginny Moon that, by Benjamin Ludwig. Yeah, I haven't heard of that. I, I'd heard of that because they they spent some money on it with <laughs> us, so I know I, I did the proposal with that. Um, but then the mystery of utmost happiness, the Lossity of the Monkey God. Uh, Sourdough by Robin Sloan, yeah. Homo Deus by Yuval Noah Harari, Lincoln and the Bardo by George Saunders, Bear Town by Frederick Bachman. I do like about this list is like they don't break it down. Like this is nonfiction. There's mm-hmm. John Green's Turtles All the Way Down. You know, they kind of threw it all. Uh, Ginny Moon is kind of more of a, you know, typically commercial fiction, which often doesn't fare well in these yeah. kinds of lists for better or worse. Well, um, and um, so the city of the the lost city of the monkey god is Douglas Preston. Like that's also, yes. you know, relatively commercially successful. Um, they, it, it is a, an interesting mix of genres and stuff here. Um, would like to see can some. I, romance. Can I snap my cap on the way out on on this because we got to go here in a yes. minute on turtles all the way down? Yeah, I texted you about this. Yep. Um, so I was mad about um, <laughs> Publishers Weekly giving John Green credit for turning around October book sales mm-hmm. when D. Brizzle outsold his ass. <laughs> and you know what? Did it again. Yep. Don Brand- Dan Brown is now outselling John Green on a week-per-week basis, and it's been out longer. So there you go. I don't know. Why, why do I care about this? This is so weird. Because accuracy. 
Because, I guess so. Because accuracy. And, you know, I saw last week that Hillary Clinton's book has sold 400,000 yes. copies so far. And so I would also like to give Hillary Clinton some credit for mm-hmm. turning around book sales. Well, you know what? Ruth Ware, Woman Cabin 10, 510,000 copies in paperback this year. That is not a joke. Nope. I mean, that is not a joke. Um, it, it gets added to our list of recent books by women who sell like gangbusters in paperback that gets no recognition. You know, the, the Orphan Train, The Nightingale, uh, uh, what was, oh, come on, come on, come on. Paula Hawkins. Oh, Girl um, on the Train. Girl on the Train, right. No, They don't make any bestseller lists, but they sell a billion copies and keep a billion publishers and bookstores um, in uh, in business. So there you go, along with, along with Dan Brown. Apparently, uh, shoot us an email podcast at bookwriter.com if you've got a rec- holiday recommend- recommendation request. You want also if you want to start selling, sending us as part of those recommendation requests, I'd love to hear what your favorite book. Yes, do tell uh, us. of the year was. Does this distinction matter to you at all? I was thinking about like when I was doing the five picks for Book Riot, like your favorite, what are the best, blah, blah, mm, blah. Like, I, I know that distinction matters to you. Yeah, it does. I, I've got a new rubric. Tell me what you think about this. If I could only, could have, if I had to save five books, that I wouldn't get to read the other books of the year, but mm. these five I would make sure I will have read. Which do I pick? Interesting. My memory is wiped except for these five. Yeah. What, do you, is that different or is that just like, I don't know. Well, I mean, is so that, the way... It, it felt different. It, it felt is different hard. Like, think I think, you know, our position trying to figure out best books of the year isn't just about our own... In this case, it's not just about our own reading yeah. experiences. It's about what you're recommending. Like, the way that we do it is the contributors all... Every contributor submits five picks, and then we tally to see the books that the voting clusters around. Um, so it's sort of this orca- organic mm-hmm. bubbling up of the things that um, the most people from our community of writers are interested in in sharing. So I think about it that way. Like, some of the books that were the best for me um, are not things that I think are widely recommendable or useful to mm-hmm. a, a large enough portion of our audience. Um, so I wouldn't put them in this list, but I might tell my best friend, like these were the mm. five best books that I read this year, best for my reading life. Um, yeah. And and some of them are, are, are things that have broad appeal. Like I will put in the new Brene Brown. I think everybody could benefit from reading Brene Brown. I probably won't put in like the obscure Thich Nhat Hanh philosophy. Mm. Yeah, see, I'm going the other way. It's like, you know what? I'm saying what the best for me were. If it's great for other people, great. I, I guess taking off that layer of do you does it need to have some wider application than just me saying these are the five that I would pick oh, yeah. to have read again? Is it? Uh, it's just a different way of thinking about it. I've thought it, it very interesting to to do anyway. Yeah, like I'll the five that go in my voting for because I'm also thinking about like what are what's likely enough to get other votes that it could end up on our... Oh, you're seeing way more strategically than I am. Okay, I see. Yeah, and maybe it's because I, tr- I'm i the one who puts the you're thing like together. You're like voting an election. Yeah, you're like, you're like, trying not to split your ticket. Right, and right. Like, I'm the one who puts the thing together, so I see sort of how it shakes out every year that there are a handful of books that get 25 votes and a few that get 10 and then a whole bunch of titles that just get one. And so if you pick a title that you're the only one in the contributor community recommending it, nobody sees that recommendation go somewhere because one vote is not enough to get you on the you know you we know, should the, start some sort of an audio visual program where we could we could talk about the books that we like so <laughs> yeah. just so we could avoid was, this sort of math yeah, i would say like the five i vote for will be different from like when you and i talk about our five what the ones that i'll pick or from for my favorites when we do our year in review show um the, there will maybe be some overlap but they won't be the same five all right, it's a good tease. That's our show. Thank you guys so much for listening. Podcast at bookriot.com for your recommendation requests. If you've been to um, an Indigo bookstore, we'd like to hear that. If you've been to one of these uh, uh, book Barnes & Noble kitchen abominations, I mean <laughs> experiments, um, you can email us about that as well. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. So if you want a recommendation request, we'll be taking them at least through the next episode. Um, but you've got a week, 10 days. Do it sooner rather than later. Make sure we get to Because also the earlier you send it, you get to the top of the list because that's how we roll. Talk to you guys next week. Have a good one.